Hi, welcome to another episode of Cuentos, a podcast dedicated to conversations on being Filipino. My name is Felisa. And my name is Daphne. In this episode, we'll be talking about Filipino folktales, or as we call them, mga alamat, which are the stories passed down to us as children. We'll be reading some of these stories, as well as diving into as much of the history of each as possible. Because you can only do secondhand research over the internet, some facts might not be as accurate as we'd like. Each folktale has many different versions because they were passed down through word of mouth. So, this episode will be a lot more lighthearted than our last one. Thanks so much to everyone who listened to our first episode. Obviously, we're still learning the technical aspects of podcasting, so we're very open to your feedback. And also, if you catch us saying something incorrect, we'd love to learn. Feel free to message us on Instagram. And yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So now that we've been taking a closer look at the Philippines, I've realized that we have such a rich culture. And I can see it reflected in the amount of folktales, legends, and myths that we have. It's honestly so interesting. I grew up in the Philippines, and I read a lot of these stories in school. Mm -hmm. And I remember my parents reading me some of these when I was a kid, too. So one thing I want to do is define the difference between Philippine mythology, legends, and folktales. So I was reading a paper written by Damiana Eugenio, and they explain it like this. Myths are prose narratives, which, in the society where they're told, are considered truthful accounts of what happened in the past. They're accepted on faith and taught to be believed. Myths are usually sacred and often associated with theology and ritual. Their main characters aren't typically human, but they have human characteristics, like animals and deities. And the actions are set in the past, when the earth was different than it is today, or in another world, like the sky or the underworld. Myths usually account for the origin of things, like the world or phenomena of nature. On the other hand, legends are also narratives considered to be true, but they're set in the past where the world is more similar to how it is now. Um, they're more secular than myths, and the main characters are human. Some examples of legends include migrations, wars, past heroes, kings, and succession in ruling dynasties. And because of this, it makes legends counterparts to verbal history, but it also includes local tales of buried treasures, fairies, ghosts, and saints. And finally, folktales are narratives that are fiction, so you shouldn't take the events in the stories seriously. Even though most are told for entertainment, they have a more important role in establishing morals and lessons. Some types of folktales include human, animal, trickster, or moral tales. So a large part of Philippine history was passed down orally rather than written, and it's the same with the stories that we're going to share today. And it actually wasn't until American occupation in the Philippines that stories started getting collected and published. And what this typically looked like was American teachers being assigned to the Philippines and living among the people. This would give them the opportunity to hear stories and begin translating them to written word. I'm not too sure about which language they would be published in though, so there might be some translation issues, but nothing that I've seen that was a problem. And among the collectors, there is a man named Dean S. Fansler. He had a manuscript collection of 4,000 or so unique folktales, but only around 1,154 have been preserved today. So what I was thinking is that it'd be so cool to see the remaining pages that are at the UP or the University of Philippines and the ones that have been moved to Australia. We should go. We should book a flight after COVID. Okay. Sounds good. Let's go. <laughs> 
So apparently, storytelling is also having a resurgence in the Philippines. I know you, Felisa, saw part of this while you grew up there through television. Yeah, a lot of Filipino childhood shows I grew up with actually showcased a lot of these folk tales. It was really fun to watch, and there was always a moral lesson at the end. So, like we mentioned, alamat or folk tale are made to teach a lesson. So each one of these stories will have a couple. So we have three stories that we wanted to tell. Reading through some of the alamat stories really opened up a part of my childhood memory for some reason. So maybe it'll do the same for some of you, especially if you've heard these stories before. So the first story we chose is Alamat ng Maria Makiling. For some context, Makiling is a mountain in the Philippines. It's located between Batangas and Laguna, which is close to where I grew up, which is Cavite. I had a lot of childhood trips to both of these cities, so it's very interesting to read about the different legends there. Where did you grow up again, Daphne? I grew up pretty far north of you. I grew up in Baguio, which is also in Luzon. Oh, cool. I've always wanted to go to Baguio. Mm -hmm. There's so many cool things I hear about that city. Mm -hmm. So there's multiple versions of the story. There's one where she turns ginger into gold. There's one where she gets heartbroken. And then there's one where there are three suitors, which was created after the Spanish colonized the Philippines, apparently. But this one was the one I remember hearing when I was younger. So it's kind of a mix between the first two I mentioned. So Maria Makiling is a diwata, which is a spirit that usually lives in the forest. And yeah, during our research, we found out that diwata actually used to mean goddess before the Spanish conquered the Philippines. Afterwards, it was changed to mean a dryad or nymph who people invoked ritually for positive crop growth, health, and fortune. And people could also incur illness or misfortune if they didn't treat them with proper respect. So basically, a diwata will usually live in large trees, forests, or mountains, and are guardian spirits of nature. Yeah, so going back to the story, Maria Makiling was a diwata who lived in the forest in the mountain of Makiling. She was a beautiful creature who had a heart of gold. She was described as having beautiful long black hair and often wore a long white dress. She would often go to the market to mingle with humans from the village, and she met this farmer there who she eventually fell in love with. So he would visit her in the mountains all the time. Mm-hmm. And that mountain was filled with fruits and vegetables. So the villagers would often go up there to get fruits and vegetables. And when they would bring it down from the mountain, the fruits and vegetables would turn into gold. Did they bring so, her anything in return or just they just took stuff? No. Yeah, they just took stuff, basically. Oh, okay. You know, she just keeps on giving. <laughs> So obviously, the villagers were grateful to Maria, but eventually, greed overcame them and they wanted more gold. So one night, the villagers go to Maria's garden of fruits and vegetables to steal some more. Mm. Maria was so angry, but because she loved these people and she considered herself as a protector of these mortal humans, especially the farmer that she's in love with, she just let it go. Um, So one day, a general arrives in their town and says that there's going to be a war and the strongest men who were not married were to become soldiers. The farmer that Maria was in love with wanted to save himself from the responsibility, so he decided to have an arranged marriage with a different girl from the village. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. Where's the love? (laughs) Um, So a few days before the farmer's wedding, he visits Maria in the mountain and tells her about the wedding. 
Maria was heartbroken, obviously. Mm-hmm. She felt cheated by this mortal. She's like this goddess. And, you know, she gets heartbroken by this regular person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's stronger um, than that. So, so that night, there was constant rain and thunder. The villagers heard Maria Makiling yelling from the sky, saying how she gave all these humans food, gold, and protection, but they were never content with what she gave them. She was angry and told the villagers that they would have to fend on their own starting now. Then, there was a large earthquake. That was the last time that anyone heard or saw from Maria, and when the villagers went up the mountain the next day, all of her vegetables and plants in the mountain were gone. Mm. Well... I think Maria Makiling dodged a bullet there. So as we said, most of these have lessons attached. So I think this one is pretty easy to see the moral of the story, which is don't take things for granted, don't steal, and work hard. Yeah, I feel like it also pertains to our relationship with Mother Nature because we take advantage of what this earth gives us Mm -hmm. without taking care of it. Um, As a matter of fact, one of the superstitions of Maria Makiling is that she watches over the mountains or the forest and she curses anyone who does any harm to it. Ooh, that's so cool. I like that. I don't know if you've heard this before, but every time we had to walk by the forest or like a super large tree, my parents or my aunt would always say tabi tabi po, which is basically asking permission from whatever creature was guarding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember a lot of those superstitious practices because there's so much that my family used to do too. But we'll be talking more about mythology later on. So I think I can explain mm-hmm. more about that later. Yeah. I also read that when seen from different locations, Mount Makiling looks like the profile of a sleeping woman. And I think it said, I think people say that this is Maria. Oh, yeah, I can see that. It's kind of like that um that disney film is it wait no moana are you talking about moana no 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 it's kind of like that um short film from disney where the two mountains are in love with each other what what is this actually you know what this is more applicable to moana (laughs) (laughs) this is actually really similar to moana where the mountain ended up being a goddess yeah i can see that and she's actually sleeping in it (laughs) yeah Plus, the mountain used to be evil. Because they stole her heart. Mm-hmm. <gasps> like yeah, the farmer so... stole her heart. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Can't believe um, But yeah, this. it's really interesting. This one, is, this one is one of my favorites because I feel like it's very applicable mm-hmm. to the world today. So what's the next story? So the next story is the folktale of the pineapple. This one's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So this one doesn't vary too much from version to version, but the story most likely has Spanish origins since pineapples aren't native to the Philippines and were introduced by the Spanish colonials. So once upon a time, there was a mother and daughter that lived in a small town. The mother's name was Rosa and the daughter's name was Pinang, who was 10 years old. Rosa, the mother, wanted her daughter to grow up hardworking, so she wanted to teach her chores, but Pinang, on the other hand, is lazy and would just ignore her mother. Since there were only two of them, the mother really loved her daughter, so even if she was a brat, the mother didn't really discipline her. One day, Rosa got sick and couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't do any of the chores, so she asked Pinang to cook. But as usual, Pinang was too lazy and she wanted to play outside. But of course, since her mother literally could not stand up, the daughter decided to cook. 
Before she started to cook, she asked her mom where the ladle was. A few minutes later, she came back and asked where the rest of the ingredients were, even though they were all beside each other in the kitchen. Hmm. Pinang was just lazy and didn't want to look for things. A few minutes later, she returned to ask where another utensil was. The mother, who was literally dying because she was so sick, <laughs> got angry and told her daughter that she wishes she would have more eyes so she can see everything and would stop asking. Oh, Pinang left. Probably me as <laughs> <Yeah>. a mother. <laughs> <laughs> Go um, on. So, so Pinang left and tried to look for things on her own. In the afternoon, Rosa was feeling better, so she got up and looked for her daughter, but she wasn't inside the house. The mother checked if she was outside playing, but she wasn't there either. What she did see was Pinang's slippers beside this weird plant. The plant was shaped like a head and it had eyes all around it. And then she remembered what she told her daughter that she wanted her to have more eyes so that she can find what she was looking for. She was devastated because her daughter turned into a freaking plant. Um, so she ended up taking care of the plant and called it Pinang in memory of her daughter. Wow. That is so sad. Oh my god. <laughs> so a few years pass and the plant grows everywhere. Rosa's neighbor actually called it Pinya, which is the Tagalog word for pineapple. And that's basically the legend of the pineapple in the Philippines. I will never eat a pineapple the same way. <laughs> I was gonna say, can you imagine eating the first pineapple? <laughs> That's her daughter, Daphne. <laughs> Why? I'm not suited to okay. be a mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, when this story was told to me, the lesson I got from my teacher was to not be lazy, listen to your parents, and there's this saying in Tagalog where it means use your eyes, not your mouth when you're looking. So that's a third lesson. What did you think? Yeah, I I remember this being one of the only stories I was told when I was back there living in Philippines. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned those same lessons that you pointed out. But I also learned another moral that usually gets left out, which is to not wish harm unto others. And it's a very Christian Roman Catholic teaching, which makes sense given our history with the Spanish. And like the superstition of Tabi Tabi Po, when I was younger, um, older people would also tell me when I'm being lazy that I would turn into a pineapple. <laughs> so I remember this very clearly. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you didn't turn into a pineapple. Honestly, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I actually wonder how many of these stories were pre-colonial and after colonial mm -hmm. like we didn't really have time to research much of it but it would be fun to see what the differences are mm -hmm. oh yeah that's true see if like if there are copies of these stories before and after is that what you're thinking yeah because for maria makiling there's three versions and the third one where three soldiers, I don't mm -hmm. know if they're soldiers, but three men fell in love with her. And one of them is a Spanish soldier. Oh. So that one was after colonization. Mm -hmm. So it has a little bit of, it has a Spanish character. So it has a little bit of influence mm -hmm. from their culture, I guess. And speaking of, our last story, interestingly enough, is the only alamat to be written during the Spanish occupation by our national hero, Jose Rizal. And this was during his studies abroad in London. He didn't make the story, but he wrote about it during one of his papers. 
we wanted to share the story of the turtle and the monkey. So this folktale is also a fable, which is basically stories where animals take on human qualities. And like folktales, it also aims to have a lesson at the end. This one's actually really popular. Like, I feel like I've seen this before outside of the Filipino context. Mm -hmm. It seems very similar to things like Aesop's fables, Mm -hmm. if you've read those. Yeah, so this folktale comes from the Ilocano, which are actually my people, and has been influenced from Indian arts. It's actually, it actually might have originated from the Malayan people and is a Buddhist birth story or what they call Jataka. I don't know if I said that right. From the Ilocana perspective, it's an explanation for why monkeys don't eat meat. And although there's many versions of the story, they usually just center around the common theme of the weak turtle overcoming a stronger opponent being the monkey. So one day, the turtle and the monkey were walking and they saw this floating banana tree on the river. They decided to split it in half. And since the monkey was the stronger one, he decided to take the top part of the plant because he thought the leaves would mean that a fruit would come out of it soon. On the other hand, the turtle got the bottom part of the plant, with the roots on it. So they both planted their parts, and obviously the monkey's plant died, and the turtles bore fruit. Mm. But the turtle, however, cannot climb the tree to gather the fruits. So the monkey volunteers to pick them. Mm-hmm. But he eats all the bananas while he's up there, and instead he throws the skin down to the turtle. Mm. So that the turtle was angry, I would be too, mm-hmm. and he wanted to get revenge. So he plants pointed snails around the tree and hides under a coconut shell. After a while, the monkey comes down from the tree and gets wounded and bleeds. He finds the turtle under the coconut shell and lets him decide what punishment he should get. To be pounded with a mortar or to be thrown into the water. Wow, the monkey's the turtle, so rude. He steals first and then he punishes the turtle. <laughs> I know, what the heck? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Um, so the turtle, being a freaking genius, chooses the mortar and tricks the monkey into thinking he was afraid of drowning. So the monkey throws the turtle in the water where he ends up floating and laughing at the monkey because he dumb. um so yeah that's the story so it's very similar to the turtle and the rabbit fable where basically like you said the quote-unquote weaker character wins over the stronger one through being clever and patient other than that i think it just tells us not to be selfish and i think it tells us not to be dumb Mm -hmm. that's so interesting i never i don't remember ever being shown like a turtle as a symbol of wisdom but i guess in this case it's pretty applicable Mm. i guess because we don't have (laughs) owls in philippines Mm. yeah i think we do do we have owls in philippines oh i don't know i I always just hear about like jungle animals but Uh, it makes sense the turtle is the symbol of wisdom i guess it's pretty cool I remember this being one of my favorite stories too because it make me it used to make me laugh all the time as a kid. And when I was looking at the different versions, I found some really messed up ones and they're a lot more violent. Like the turtle <laughs> kills the monkey and sells the meat to other monkeys before oh getting caught and thrown in the water. <laughs> oh my god, why? <laughs> That's terrible. What am I supposed to learn there? <laughs> Same thing, don't be selfish. <laughs> hey, he made a business, come on. Mm, judge for the turtle. You know what? I'm on the turtle side. 
Yeah, I don't know why the stories are a little bit more violent, but I guess that's just a very old version um, because the stories were passed down from the southern part of Philippines through the more native tribes. I think it's a little closer to how it was in the past, but modern translations of the stories probably have erased or censored a lot of the violence, which is the story that mm -hmm. we share today. So these folk tales were obviously very vital to our culture, minus the violence, because they were passed down to us from our ancestors even before pre-colonial time. Yeah, it's really nice to have these stories that you can also pass down to your kids. It makes it easier to hold on to your culture in a way. Because mm -hmm. I, I definitely remember most of these from my own childhood. Mm -hmm. And I, I like it because it's a really entertaining way to educate kids and even remind adults how to treat each other. And my boomer self wants to say that people these days should probably hear more of these. Yeah, so so many of these lessons would be so applicable even today. And it's funny because these were made over, what, like 100 years ago mm -hmm. or more than that. And the gist of each story still applies to us today. So maybe we haven't evolved that much, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And another story we didn't get to, but again, is one of my favorites. You know, I just I love all these stories. So one of my favorites is the story of Malakas and Maganda. And you can hear my accent, but... Um, yeah, I really love it because it's, I want to say it's been passed down from pre-colonial times. I'm interested to see, we keep saying like Philippine culture and stories are influenced by a multitude of other nations, if Philippine stories have influenced any other nation. Yeah, there's so many things I want to learn about pre-colonial because I feel like a lot of the history I learned was after mm -hmm. we were colonized. Mm-hmm. We're going to do an episode on pre-colonial Philippines, so that'll be really interesting to research. Mm -hmm. We definitely have a lot more to share about mythology, and maybe we'll get to share some of those and some ghost stories and other creature stories later on. So that's it for this week's episode of Cuentos. We hope you enjoyed, and we'd love to hear the folk tales that you grew up with. Yeah, let us know on our social media at Cuentos Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Once again, I'm Felisa. And I'm Daphne. Thanks for the cuentos. <laughs>